just loved being in your city yesterday. John and Bridget ran around and showed me a lot of the sights. We saw some of the artists last night. We watched the sunset on the mountain. Why wouldn't I want to retire right here? I'm telling you. And if I retire here, why wouldn't I come to Hoffmantown Baptist Church and have Pastor Eric be my pastor? Why not? You get to live in what all these other people pay money to come on vacation to see, and you get to live right here in the middle of it. Got to be with your core leadership yesterday with so many folk this morning. I can tell that you are a positive, cooperative church. So I'm absolutely certain if I ask you to be a part of a demonstration right now, as long as it made sense to you, I think most of you would do what I ask you to do. So I want you to use your imagination. What if, don't do this, but what if I really did ask the entire congregation to stand to their feet? Once again, I think most of you would cooperate with that. But then what if I made the unusual request now that you're standing, I want everybody to move to the front of the auditorium. Obviously, we've got lots of room down here. What if I invited everybody to come to the front, but I gave you instructions about where to stand? Once again, because I think you're cooperative, I think you would try your best, you know, to, to, to figure out where you're going to go. What if I said, I want one group to come to the front and stand about right over here. And, and by standing right about here, this group will be saying, we are on our way toward God. Somebody is out there. Not an atheist, not me. No. And I got myself up this morning. I got myself dressed, got to a church, figured that's where I would find the answers. And I'm here this morning saying, I'm on my way toward God. And I'm telling you about Hoffmantown people, if there really was a group standing here, I bet 10 or 15 of these folk would come down and start hugging some necks and you would say, God bless you, boy, you're in the right place. This is where you can discover how to meet God. But others of you coming to the front, you might say, well, no, that's not exact. I, I really think maybe I ought to stand more about right here. Now, by standing in the middle, you would say, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. But finally, somebody explained through the death of Christ on the cross, dying for my sins by faith, I received that gift into my life. And so, no, I'm not on my way toward God. I actually know him, but... I'm standing here and not some other places because even though I know Jesus, the most important person in my world is me. By that I mean, you know, just getting through a typical day, what's really on my mind is me. My hardships, my struggles, different things I've got to go through, my finances, my crazy kids, you know, just trying to get through the day. Really, what's on my mind most of the time is me, my issues. Now, these poor people, I don't even know how they get by. If you didn't have Jesus to call on, oh my goodness, that would be so hard. Yes, I tell Jesus my struggles. You know, I do expect him to help me out. But really, the preoccupation of my life is me. Now, if we tried to form a group here, the difficulty is the people that ought to stand over here are also so humble they don't want to put themselves forward. It might take a friend taking them by the arm saying, you're going to go stand. But regardless, if we had some group come right here, they would be saying, I was on my way toward God. I finally met him through his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. 
And I cannot take credit for a single thing that's happened in my life. It is all the work of God in my life. But somehow, I find myself standing here this morning saying, the most important person in my world is Jesus. By that I mean he really is the preoccupation of my day. Now, I have the same struggles and difficulties as everybody else. Oh, my goodness, I could give you my list. But really, even in my struggles, what's on my mind is, oh, I wonder how Jesus is going to draw attention to himself through this difficulty. Oh, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom more on the earth while we go through this or that. And you know, for my family, it's the very same thing. I mean, when my family's going through something hard, I mean, we are literally sitting on the couch saying to each other, boy, this is hard. I wonder what Jesus is up to now. I wonder what he's going to do through our family to draw attention to himself. So even for my family, it's the same thing. The preoccupation of our lives, even the conversation in our house, is Jesus. Lost, convert, disciple. That's Jesus' favorite term for these people. Disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. We all know about goofy research, unbelievable research. Let me give you some trustworthy research. The trustworthy research says if I grow up in a home and for 18 years I live with the mom and dad and they are lost. They don't have a relationship with Christ. Now they may be fine folk, strong work ethic, salt of the earth, good people. They might even watch Fox News. But if they, <laughs> but if they don't know Jesus, the, the research says I will leave that home and spend my entire life lost. Now, there are exceptions, and several of you this morning are that exception. You grew up in a home without Christ, a direct miracle of God, and you came to know him. Those people do exist. They are a very, very small percentage. The good research says, if I spend 18, 22 years growing up in a home and my mom and dad are disciples, uh, not perfect people, but generally my mom and dad are just living their lives where Jesus really is the preoccupation. He's the conversation in our home when we're trying to make decisions. I just grow up watching people always do that under Christ. I can tell that my mom and dad are talking to him continually. If I grow up in a home and my mom and dad are disciples of Jesus, the research says the high probability is I will become a young adult, in fact, a lifetime adult, who will have a discipleship relationship with Jesus. Let, let me give you an example. We've just been through spring break. We know what happens on spring break. A 19-year-old coming out of this house, walking through one of the campus buildings before spring break, he sees a bulletin board, and the bulletin board says, spring break trip, come with us. We're going to rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in five days. And that college student is thinking, whoa, I'm going on that trip. That sounds about twice as much fun to me as being drunk on some beach for five days. In other words, even at 19, he is already thinking like a disciple of Jesus. Lost parents, on average, have lost kids. Disciple parents, on average have disciple kids. Convert parents have kids. 
who live as if they are lost. Not talking about losing your salvation. Really, I'm talking about lifestyle. If we go down to the church on Sunday, and you know, we fit in with everybody else. We know how to say the religious words. Coffee's better than it used to. You know, we just go to the church and we, we just fit in pretty well. But I can tell back at the house, Monday through Saturday, that's not what's really driving our family. Really, the conversation in the house is always about scholarships and traveling teams and roses on the 50-yard line and a whole lot of other things. And I can tell that's really the central issue for us, that religious profession on Sunday compared with what I can tell is really important in our home, the dissonance between those two things, it just fries my wiring. And when I finally get off at the Big Bad University, I don't have enough faith to hold me. And we know for a fact, after only one or two weeks, those students are already starting to do some of the things the law students are doing. I can't read anybody's mind this morning. But, but I would just wonder if, if somebody out there is kind of, you know, having a little conversation with me. Somebody that would say, uh, Mr. Ross... To use your perfectly ridiculous example, I would be standing in the middle. And I am just fine with that. I am going to be here on Sunday. Nobody in Albuquerque is going to say I'm an atheist. I am going to be here. And by the way, it's a little easier to sell insurance if you go to somebody's church. I'm going to be here on Sunday. But there's some other parts of my life that are equally important. I make some pretty decent money here. Actually, I'm known in the city. I'm treated with respect. And Mr. Ross, you, you wouldn't like this at all. But if my kids turn out just like me, I would be perfectly fine with that. Now, I do want them to get up and go to church. I want them to take my grandkids to church. But I don't want them to be a nut about it. Oh, my friend, what you don't know is when they get outside your direct control and can do what they want to, they are going to break your heart in two. And eventually, when they take your grandkids through three messy divorces, you're going to say, this didn't turn out the way I was expecting at all. Now, this would be strange. This would be strange. But if Pastor Eric, Pastor Jason, some of the others, if they had called me and if they had given me a good enough explanation, I would have done this. I would have flown to Albuquerque, sat right there, walked up on the platform, said one sentence, and at the end of the service flown home. I would have done that if they had given me a reason because it would be worth it to me to say one sentence to you. The future of your children depends primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. You're in an above average church. Nobody doubts that. We, we know about Hoffmantown all the way over in Dallas-Fort Worth. The children's ministry, the youth ministry of this church, above average. Everybody knows that. 
And that does count. That does matter. I'll speak about that later. But mom and dad, if you are depending on being in a great church to get kids who eventually are going to live their adult lives for the glory of God, you are sadly mistaken. That doesn't hinge on church programs. That hinges on the spiritual condition of your heart. In fact, this whole issue of the heart has been interesting to me lately. You might think this is strange, but I sat down with my Bible, I took several hours, and I went from Genesis to Revelation, studying every passage that had to do with the heart. Actually, I would love to read every passage to you right now. If I did, the Methodists would beat us to little Anita's, and we don't want that. So I'm not, I'm not going to read... I'm not going to read all of those verses. But, but this, is what, this is what Scripture says. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks so mom and dad, if we're talking about the future of your kids and eventually your grandkids, it really matters where would you be standing this morning. Mom and dad, you could be a baptized member of this church and be standing here. You know one way you could detect that? If you would say, deep inside of me, I can't detect any hunger or desire that my children would live their lives in such a way that glory would come to God through their lives. I, I, I do want them to be moral. I want them to be productive. I'd like for them to make a good living. I'm working on all those things, but I really can't detect inside me that, that I want them to matter for the kingdom of Christ. If you can't detect any of that in your heart, you may be lost. And you are one drunk driver away from an eternity in hell. But it's not just you. The research says one and maybe two generations are going to follow you even into eternity. Wherever you go, they're going to tend to follow you. I do think, though, for the vast majority of us this morning, the question is not would I stand here. I think for the vast majority of us, really the question is would I be here or here? Now, I have preached this sermon before. It's interesting to have a senior saint walk up to me after church. This has happened several times where a senior adult would walk up and say almost exactly the same words. They would tend to say, Brother Richard, some would say, I'm a pillar of the church. So would you explain to me how I could have sat here for decades and actually this is the first time in my life I have struggled with this specific question are you a convert or are you a disciple? But maybe some of you younger adults would say, well, actually, it's the first time I've really put it in those terms myself. Now, we don't have a meter to, to poke you with to tell you which of these you are, but let me just ask some diagnostic questions. Let me just ask you some probing questions. You know, a nice thing about a guest speaker is they leave and you don't have to look at them anymore, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe you would give me permission to, as we say in West Texas, plow close to the corn. Maybe you would let me ask you some very personal questions. What wakes you up of a morning? Phone? 
Alarm clock, maybe you wake up automatically. Whatever wakes you up, what, what, what is your first thought after that? Where's that snooze button? I need 20 more minutes. Or, or, I'm getting out of this bed because I want to go to my favorite place because when I get there, I am going to worship the King of glory. This is what I want to do. Is that true of you or would you say no? I wouldn't say that I get up in the morning and actually worship Christ. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, a head duck over your postosis. That's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a significant time of prayer, probably time in Scripture, not because it's a Baptist checklist, but because you want to do that because that's how you're made these days. You're made as a disciple of Jesus. Would you say that's in your life or not? When you do pray, whenever that is, when you do pray, would you say the majority of your prayers are declaring glory to the king, praising him, telling him all the ways he's wonderful? Would you say that's the majority of your prayers? Or would you say the majority of your prayers are gimme prayers? Okay, Jesus, let me tell you everything that's hard in my life, everything that's difficult, all the ways you need to show up and help me out. Would you say most of your prayers are telling him his glory, or would you say most of your prayer is me? What about the Bible? To fit in, most of us are going to have something that looks like a Bible on Sunday morning. It might be paper and ink. For some of us, it's something you do with your thumbs. It's still the Word of God. That's fine. But at home, on your own time, would you say you are pulled into the pages of Scripture on your own time because you're so in love with the author that you love reading what he's written? Would you say that is just part of your life? Or would you say in many cases, a Bible sits Monday through Saturday just waiting to be used basically as a prop on Sunday morning? Actually, the questions could go on, but I think it would be uh, more time efficient to just summarize the whole issue. Just summarize the whole thing. I, I don't know that you've ever asked it this way yourself. For you, would you say this whole church, religion, Hoffman Town, would you say this whole church thing in your life primarily exists to improve your life make your life better, or would you say this whole faith thing exists for the glory of Christ? In your life, which of those two things is stronger? Would you be sitting there this morning because you have a hunch if you go down to the church and you keep your nose clean and you put a dollar in the plate, you know things just go better in your life. If you get laid off, you're probably going to get a better job. If your wife gets cancer, she's probably going to get over it. Would you say that basically this whole church thing is to improve your life? Or would you say basically you're doing all of this for his glory? I'm going to say something startling. The middle group, the group standing right here, this was never, ever part of the plan of Christ. Never was part of his plan. 
Jesus said to lost people, Jesus said to lost people, come follow me. He said to lost people, come right now, come and be my disciple. This was never part of the plan. In fact, when he did refer to this group once, he said, that makes me sick at my tummy. That's what he said. Adult, this matters for you. It it matters for your purpose and plan for being on this earth. Why do you even exist? This this does have meaning for you, but this morning our focus is next generation. We adults, you know, we kind of grew up a few years ago, and we grew up in a day where there were a lot of social advantages to going to church. It was just more of the normal thing to do. But these young adults, no way. If they don't have a burning heart for Christ, there's nothing to pull them into church. So you might say, well, I come, you know, maybe my kids will come. Well, they'll come if they have grown up with disciples. Otherwise, they're going to drift away and break your heart in two. Three challenges for the church. And really, at this point, I want to invite everybody into the message. Teenagers, senior adults, the the, the challenges really are for everyone. Even though I think mom and dad have special impetus for paying attention. Everybody, Everybody catch this. My first challenge to you is be awakened to who Christ really is. Just have an awakening more to who he is. The only way, really, you can stand here, the only way you can just be a good old Baptist, keep your nose clean, go down to... The only way you can do this and not live a life that really glorifies him, the only way to do that is to have a small view of Jesus. To see him actually more as a mascot than a monarch. Could I just remind you this morning who Jesus actually is? So many of us are are locked in the past. So many of us only can see Jesus as he was during his days here on earth, wearing a bathrobe, walking around in the Middle East, holding children. Some of us, we we just can't think of him any other way than that. But all of that changed, you see, 40 days after the resurrection. We're slipping right up on that right now. 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives bids farewell to his followers, give them the final great challenge, and then the, body, the Bible says his body started going up into heaven. He went through the clouds, went into heaven, probably came down the center concourse of heaven, and as he approached his father, his father stood up and said, Be enthroned at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. From that moment until this morning, Jesus has not been sitting on a well holding children. He has been sitting on the throne of heaven. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. That is who he is. In John and Bridget's house this morning, I can show you the place in the room that they gave me where I saw Jesus high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, and I worshiped him as my king. I couldn't possibly have spent most of my time talking about all my troubles because he is too glorious for that. I'm calling you to be awakened more to who Jesus really is. Let me ask you, Hoffmantown person, 
Do you happen to believe in the second coming of Christ? Do you happen to believe that he will visibly return to earth? Most of you do. Okay, when you go out in the front yard and you're hearing the trumpet music and you're looking up and you see Jesus split open the heavens and he is descending to earth, do you think at that moment he is going to be grand and glorious? Do you believe that or not? Of course you do. Okay, watch this. Who Jesus will be in his second coming is precisely who he is this morning. He doesn't change into something. He doesn't become something. That's who I talked to this morning. My experience has been when you begin to approach him as the king of glory, it just changes things. When you get to heaven, probably the first thing you're going to do is hug some necks, but it won't take long before you're going to say to your relatives, come on, I got to see the throne. When you see Jesus the first time in heaven, what do you think you're going to see? Well, in case you've forgotten, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Who he will be that day when you see him with your own eyes is who he is this morning. The first step to becoming a disciple of Jesus is to start approaching him, thinking about him, studying about him as king of kings and lord of lords. My second challenge to you is this. Be transparent about your awakening in front of your kids. Be transparent. Mom and dad, it wouldn't do that much good to fall more in love with Jesus if you're so reserved that the kids can't even figure it out. Men, if you would let me just speak to you men, and I know I'm not going to do male bashing. Men, I think we are more reserved than the ladies. And I don't think that's a fault. I think the ladies are just a little bit more out there about whatever is going on in them. I think we tend to be more reserved. No, no, <laughs> no harm, no foul, unless, guys, you are so reserved that, that really the kids just have no clue that my daddy is falling head over heels in love with Jesus. You got to let them see that. Dad, let me show you. Let me be practical. So, Dad, you're waking up more to Christ. It seems more valuable to you to talk to him early in the morning. Your people might even still be asleep, but you're up and you're in your barca lounger and you're having a pretty good time reading the Bible. And while you're reading along, you go, whoa, that's pretty good. Man, I never saw that verse before. That is good. What, okay, what are you going to do about that? We'll take your Bible to breakfast. Finally, your sleepy-headed high school daughter wakes up and she walks in and you say, hey, sweetie, come here, come here, come here, come here. Lean over my shoulder. Come here. Look, I was reading this in my worship time this morning. This is really good. Okay. I believe in K groups for teenagers with all of my heart. Led them for decades. But I want to tell you something. That little scenario right there, that girl leaning over that man's shoulder, that's worth about 20 K group lessons. You know why? Because that's my daddy, most important person in my life. 
When that girl is 37 years of age, the way she's raising her kids, the way she's serving Christ in her church, the way she's living out her life will be shaped in large measure by moments just like that. And don't you dare think two pizzas with the youth group are going to make up the difference for that. Be awakened more to who Christ really is. Be transparent about that in front of your family. And third and finally, partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. I did say that mom and dad are in the first position, but boy, the church comes in second. When you really get excited about kids that are going to go live their adult lives for the glory of God, it does make you value anything your church is doing to help you in that process. What I've discovered is when parents wake up to Christ, they start looking at the announcements differently. Somebody throws up a slide and it says, uh, seminar for parents or training for parents, and you're thinking, you know, in the old days, I, I just blew that stuff off. But my soul, if they're going to show me how to spiritually lead at home better than I, I'm, I'm all over, I'm going to show up for that. See, it's a change. They throw up a slide and it says, oh, we're going to bring the entire family together. It's going to be wonderful. It'll be fun. It's also going to be spiritually meaningful. And you're thinking, well, you know, I was going to take my people to go see Aunt Matilda that weekend. We do need to see her, but you know what? We're going to go a different weekend because I want my family to be part of that. You start valuing a partnership with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Dad, Dad, let me come back to you again. I'm a dad, and, and I, I, I understand what I'm about to say is not easy. I understand that. L listen, listen, Dad. Coach, you've taken an extra interest in my son, and I can tell. You hold him over. You get him extra help. You're giving him extra experience. Coach, I appreciate the interest you've taken in my boy. And I understand what you're saying. I understand that these days the scouts are more likely to see a traveling team than they are to see a school team. I understand, and so we probably have a better shot at a scholarship. And coach, I appreciate more than I can say that you're giving my son a position on that traveling team, but coach, you're telling me that with this particular league, they're going to have to be out six Sundays in a row. Coach, I'm not only trying to build a blue chipper. I'm trying to build a young man with a heart for God. We just can't miss six Sundays and that happen. Coach, I'm going to say no this time, and you and I will watch for other opportunities to build into my son. Anybody here think that's an easy speech to give? No. We love watching our kids excel. But, Dad, here's the payoff. Fifteen years from now... Your adult kids are at your house for Thanksgiving and they're sitting around the big table and your boy, now a dad, turns to you and says, hey, Pop, I know you made some calls when I was growing up that I probably griped about, but Dad, you did the right thing. The fact that me and my family active in our church serving Christ is a testimony to the fact that you kept the main thing the main thing. I am a dad, and I only have one living child. His name is Clayton. He's in his 20s, and he will jump on a plane 
with just about anybody to go to some place to tell people about Jesus. Interestingly, he tends to end up in places where they cut your head off and other things for being a Christian. And sometimes I try to talk him out of it. And he said, Dad, I, I live for the glory of God. Who cares? We're, we're planting the church. What's the, what's the point? Okay, perish the thought. <laughs> perish the thought. But what if my son goes on the next short-term mission trip and his remains come home in a box? And Pastor Eric just mentions that during announcements. Some of y'all remember the tall professor and his boy, and there was a, a loss overseas. And you just have a crazy thought. You say to yourself, you know, I've got business in Dallas anyway. I'm going to go to that funeral. I don't know why it's crazy, but I just, I want to be there. So you take care of your business in Dallas, and you drive over to Wedgwood Baptist Church, and you sit on the back row. If they put me on the second row, and you look down here, I want to just tell you ahead of time, I'm going to be crying pretty bad. I love my boy so much, we are so close. So if I'm not going to see him again on this earth, I'm going to be pretty sad about that. But if you come out in the circular driveway and you catch me before I get in the big black car, you might ask me a personal question. You might say, Brother Richard, I know this is crazy, but you came out to Hoffmantown. Actually, we didn't even meet, but I just felt a connection with you. Pastor mentioned your loss, and, and here I am. Can, can I just ask you? How do you really feel about the fact that now there will never be a grandchild in your lap? How do you really feel about the fact that Christmas from now on will be you give your wife a present, she gives you a present, and you go to bed, and that's it the rest of your life? How do you really feel about the fact that eventually nobody comes to see you in hospice and you die alone? I don't know what I'll say to answer your question. Who, who could know ahead of time what they're going to say? But you know what I hope I would say? What I hope I would say is, it is well with my soul. Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That's what he's doing down here. So if the king decrees in this particular situation, I would be glorified by a young man that would lay down his life for the propagation of the gospel, how can a dad say anything other than it is well with my soul? Here is what you have to remember. This morning, Richard Ross and his son Clayton are not the issue. This morning, the issue is you and your kids. Every child of this church, the toddlers and the college student, they are on earth for the glory of God. Mom and dad feeding them, teaching them how to earn a living, it all matters. But nothing is more important than having an 18 or a 22-year-old leave your house with a face set like flint to live their entire adult lives for the glory of Christ. Oh. 